Hey, thanks for tuning in either on the audio podcast or on the YouTube channel here. I'm David Tarkington, pastor of First Baptist Orange Park, Florida, and the First Family Network of our churches here in this region. And uh, every now and then we'll come together on this podcast that's called Equipping for Life to talk about things in our culture and things in the scriptures and how those, uh, those things often interact or, or intersect and so today I've gone uh, all the way, uh, really basically like two streets over to uh, bring in Jordan O'Brien. Jordan is a, a young man that uh, I know a little bit, and some of you know how I know him. Jordan is not only uh, one of the worship leaders at our church, he serves at the Island Church, which is a, a campus that uh, we're praying and, and working towards uh, seeing become an autonomous church and a community near us. Um, our church is located in Orange Park, Florida, near Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, the Island Church is, is located in a, sub, in a suburb called Fleming Island. And Jordan uh, has that role uh, that's uh, serving in, in a bivocational role there as, one of the, as the worship leader and in in part of that worship leadership and church leadership team. But he also has another role that's uh, even more important to me than that, and he is my son-in-law. Uh, Jordan and I have talked about a lot of issues over the years, and most recently, we find ourselves talking over the dinner table or when we're together about just things that come up related to uh, a lot of times around theology and, and questions from the scripture as we dig into that, but also about things happening in the culture. And a lot of times our discussions are pretty serious, and then we have to kind of go a different route and talk about movies and books and th music just to kind of break up some of that. We, and, and yet these conversations that we've had most recently have been about some of the things happening in our in our nation and in our culture uh, related to uh, racial disunity and the desire for racial unity and, and and as a church and as church leadership of course uh, we're we're not ignoring that we're actually uh, stepping into that story as as boldly as we can but Jordan has a perspective uh, unlike mine uh, just by virtue of, of his upbringing and in his uh, his heritage, Jordan, um, biracial, and so uh, African-American uh, father and a white mother and, and has uh, grown up in this community here, which is still, I guess our community is, is predominantly white, uh, and yet that even the demographics of our community are changing every year, which is a good thing. And so uh, we've talked about this. And so Jordan, uh, I'm glad you're here and able to join me tonight. And so why don't we, if you would, just kind of um, start off with a little brief bio of, of who you are and, um, and uh, you know, where you've grown up and, and what your experiences have been in this community and just growing up um, from in a biracial perspective that maybe many others can understand as well. So I was born in Orange Park, right down the road from First Baptist Orange Park um, in 1991. So I'm still young, but getting up there in age. Not quite there, but um, was born to a white mother and a black father um, who at the time were very young and they were not married. Uh, at the time, my father was 16. My mom was 18. And I think just at the time, I wouldn't say that racism nor the segregation itself um, had ceased, but it, I, I would say in the 90s that you kind of see it becoming more normal of like a blended family or where black culture is really starting to impact 
the overall culture of everyone um, from, I mean, if you just look at it in the, throughout the 90s, I mean, you've got music, um, rap that became really popular in the 90s. Um, and then you've got, you know, sitcoms that became even more popular. Again, um, I would say there was kind of a drought in the 80s, but in the 70s, there was a lot of um, predominantly black um, sitcoms that were really popular. Yeah, then, you, had a, you had a few back. Now, those are now you're talking about my era. So you're talking about that was a major shift in entertainment. And, and, and I'm going to pause you on that just to kind of bring us up to speed on that, because I heard something recently. Norman Lear, um, definitely not the most conservative person in the world, definitely not a, a Christian or a believer, and nor would he espouse to be. But, but when, when entertainment shifted on when, before cable television was everywhere and satellite and streaming, yeah, these three major networks and Lear was instrumental in bringing shows like all in the family, which was not led by a, a, a black um, uh, actor or actress was Carol O'Connor, but actually from that show, then you have the Jeffersons and, and that show kind of, kind of was a, a unique show in that it put a, a black community, a black family in an upper middle-class uh, storyline you also had Good Times, which was another big hit, same, same creator. So when you're talking about the 70s, you're looking at that shift in the focus from entertainment. And then you get the 80s and you end up with the Cosby Show and the Huxtables. And then you get the 90s and you're starting to see even more mainstream. So you're, you're right. You're start, you, you can track um, 60s, 70s, 80s, every decade. You can track the entertainment and start seeing a shift in in some very positive ways, in some ways, and in other steps backwards. Um, and, and so you're growing up born in the, in the 90s. And so um, I, all that 70s and 80s stuff, that's ancient history for you. But um, from the 90s to 2000s, yeah, it's definitely a different perspective than perhaps even your parents and, uh, and, and me and, and your, our, your, my parents, your grandparents would have experienced. Yeah, and so I would say just with the influx of the culture, really just you know, blending in is, is the way I would really call it, like a melting pot, if you will. Um, it was becoming more normal. Um, but I would say there was still uh, hesitation. There was still fear mm -hmm. um, from my mom's side of the family. Um, the fact that she's in high school still. And, you know, everyone, I mean, now that I have a daughter, I completely understand. I get it. Um, you know, you've got everything planned out for your kid. Um, before they even start anything, before they even start walking, you know, exactly where they're going to go to school, you know, <laughs> how you're going to pay for it and all these things. But um, yeah, I think my, my grandfather in particular was very afraid. Um, I wouldn't say it was mostly because of the color difference, but mainly just because of his daughter's situation. Sure. Um, but majority of the issue came from family members who are no longer here on this earth anymore. Um, and in particular, I would say my mom was met with initial um, backlash, I guess you could say. Um, so one of the, one of the, the moments that really stands out is my mom got a card from a family member that basically said, you don't see Blue Jays and Cardinals flying together. Um, making it very clear that they're not in support of the differences of color. So I think that was a big struggle for my mom at first. She, you know, she of course pressed on through it. And I would say my mom being how strong she is, was able to get through that 
but um yeah there was definitely some um like i said backlash with with the mixing of the color um on the other side i, I wouldn't say it was quite as um uh, dramatic in terms of the difference of color but i would say that you know from a black point of view marrying into a white family which was the that was the the, the goal obviously after i was born um is that that was know, the goal that was the goal they wanted for their the your dad right their dad yeah my dad right. yeah um and you know that just brings a whole different view really you know family reunions and things like that and you know i think uh another interesting fact about that is you know you're blending different cultures and you're blending different traditions and things like that um and that's probably a lot of thoughts that they were thinking about at the time and you know now they're gonna have a, a mixed kid essentially sure. mm -hmm. running around um, but it wasn't i wouldn't say they were like opposed to you know me being half white but more so just losing the culture or um you know maybe not even losing it all together honestly sure. um but yeah i mean you know just fast forward a few years um i would say honestly the first like five years of my life i didn't really have any immediate problems in terms of my skin color or or my race in general mm -hmm. um, but when i moved to orlando i did have a friend that lived down the road and i hung out at his house quite a bit um he was one of my only friends since i just moved to orlando and i hadn't met his father his father had come home from work one time and i was there and uh he saw me and he just seemed very very upset and it was just a very uncomfortable situation like i shouldn't be there um the next day i rode my bike down to my friend's house knocked on the door his mom answered and said, uh, you're not allowed to play with um, my, my kid anymore. Um, and I, I don't really know why. Uh, another interesting thing is that they weren't necessarily white, they were um, Asian. <laughs> so, but there was, a, there was definitely an issue with me and my color and how I looked. Uh, so that was like, you, you you never really had an explanation from him though you just i just wasn't allowed to talk to him or hang out with him so he was in my class but i never spoke to him or hung out with him again because wow. i wasn't allowed to <laughs> hmm. so it was like i said it was a very uh, interesting situation yeah um then uh i think the just just to back up a little bit uh so with my grandfather and he wasn't necessarily racist or anything like that. He just, again, was scared for his daughter. Mm -hmm. But there was a moment where I crawled on to him basically as a child, as a baby. And he just kind of looked at me and was holding me and just realized like, why do I even have any, like any issue with there being a difference of color? He's like, this is my grandson mm -hmm. and I'm going to love him and protect him. And well, your grandparents, um, you know, I know them. They're God, uh, just great folks and have, and have done much for you. Uh, your mom has too. And I know uh, your family uh, now at this age, you know, you have your own child. And um, 
your family, your, your blood relatives are, are, are so supportive of you. Um, but you know, your story, I just, I can't get the Orlando story out of my mind. You know, even, man, that's one of those things that even if it had nothing to do with your skin color, it still looks like and feels like it has to do with your skin color. What else could it be at that point? Yeah. How old were you? Six, seven? Five. Yeah. And five or six at the time. Gosh, that's first grade or kindergarten. Um, Hey, do this for me then in this, in this little bio, um, unless you, unless you had another, another story you want to share. Um, um well, so, Another, another thing is in preschool, okay. um, I was picked on a lot by a spe- like specific people. Um, and there was honestly no reason for it. I was bigger than the kid. I was yeah. more um, attentive in terms of that school and, and things like that. I wasn't a show off. I was relatively shy um, as a kid. Um, but they, he would just constantly like, you know, hurt me i mean like legitimately one time we were walking to go outside and at the the way it was set up there was a a building and then right out is concrete and then the playground uh he actually pushed me through that door and i went flying through the door and you know scraped up my arms and everything long story short it was just a, a pretty bad situation and I ended up retaliating and getting in trouble and then actually getting kicked out of the preschool. But, um, Ooh, well, you see, you never told me this story before you married my daughter. My goodness. You're a bully. You, you, you retaliate and get in fight, kicked out of school. Goodness. Yeah. It's um, always the second guy that gets caught. You know that it's just like, in it, I, that's another thing. Like I, I'm not going to say, it, you know, I'm a hundred percent certain it was race, but it was definitely a, a white kid making fun of the only kid of color in the class. Was he making fun of you? Uh, Do you remember that, that was, were there, were there statements made? Hair. uh, I got me in front of my hair a lot. Okay. Um, Lips. And that's pretty much it. I think they would make fun of the fact that I was tan. I was a little bit, I wasn't, I was tanner than I am now. I'm very pale, but uh, I was tanner than most Mm. white white kids at the time. So and you were easy pickings. You were the, you, you were the, the, the different kid from yeah. everybody else in the group. Now you, um, growing up, um, as I said, you're, you're here in a predominantly white community. Did you ever, did you ever face, um, some, some issues here, you know, moving back up here into the Jacksonville area, just growing up in this community, did you ever, face any long-term issues uh, from others based on your, your color from a white community? And curious, did you, did you ever face any, any backlash from maybe those from, from the black community, from students in the school of, of you know, you're kind, as you said, by biracial, you're, you, you have kind of one foot in both, both uh, cultures. Um, but, but is there any, is that, did you sense that, and this is your story, so we're not making a statement for everybody that, that is a person of color, everybody that's biracial. From your perspective, did you ever sense that you were, were kind of, um, I don't know if picked on is the right word, but, but singled out from, from, from others of, of all colors, of all, of all backgrounds? So um, in elementary, not so much moving back here to Fleming Island. Um, like you said, it was predominantly white. I, I in, in all honesty, there was probably maybe three to four black kids in my class. 
mm-hmm. in in sixth grade up to sixth grade really um and then i didn't really have any issues i mean it was just kind of a known thing that i was darker than most of the kids there i mean people ask me you know why is your hair why isn't it straight why is it like a carpet you know just silly things like that just because they didn't know you know they're not used to <laughs> growing up with kids of color i would say yeah um but uh, another thing is uh when i when we went to green cove um there's it's predominantly a, a black neighborhood and area the, and, where, the, where the school is located would yeah you, you definitely yeah. have a more uh what we'd say more diverse demographic of student body at green cove springs uh just at that time sure mm-hmm. yeah and so the issue there was i wasn't black enough to oh. a lot of the the black kids in there and so i got made fun of not like it wasn't terrible but they would make fun of the way i spoke so to add to it, it, it which makes it even worse is uh despite all of that it's still junior high which is bad enough it's yeah just junior high. Hard, that's hard you know you're 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 not only in a you're in a what, what they call it, the pecking order. Everybody has to figure out where they stand, where they stay, you know, who's popular, who's not. That's, that's, that's a challenge in all schools, I'm sure. But it just seems like junior high is that one part of the funnel from elementary school to high school where it gets so intense. It's kind of a make or break moment for a lot of students uh, in, in challenging ways. That's one of the, I guess that's one of the reasons we've worked so hard in our church to have some presence on junior highs because we see the power uh, uh, of really impacting lives in that way. Um, well, let, let's move forward a little bit. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, I, I think, you know, your experience, again, unique to you and unique to you living in a community that you're living in and, and living in with the family you, you live with. Because you were um, raised by, by, well, we'll just define it this way. You were raised by the white family and, and so visited your black family members, and, but raised by your white family members. And that, you know, plays into this. Uh, that's part of the story. Not dissecting that necessarily, not analyzing that. That's just your story. So let, let's fast forward to now, uh, or, or not uh, to a little more recently. Um, your, uh, your perspective as a young man now, uh, with all that's going on in the world, knowing that, that maybe you have a unique perspective for, uh, than someone like me, uh, or, or someone who uh, is a person of color, uh, you know, not biracial, you have a perspective that you have shared that you feel like you're kind of like in, in, can see things perhaps in ways, or at least then, then different ways than maybe your friends can of your, of your peer group of your own age. So, um, it, it wasn't long ago that the, um, Ahmaud Arbery was killed by the, um, the gentleman, uh, the two white gentlemen in, in, uh, Georgia, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I know the story. I'm just trying to get all the names right. And that hit the news. And and boy, just uh, when that happened, and I watched that video myself, uh, it, it, it kind of threw me for a loop. Um, so we talked about that when it happened. Uh, I've been in a number of conferences with pastors and others. Just uh, I remember in a prayer conference we were in uh, where the, the video came out. And, 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 and I'm still just so... I don't know. I just think, what if the video had never come out, right? What if the guy had never put the video out? Now we're not going to play it here or anything, but most you can find it. It's on YouTube, and and it was Ahmad who was who was jogging <clears throat> there in his community, and and uh, and then kind of hemmed in, and 
by these guys that were accusing him of whatever. Anyway, they shoot him and he, and he's there dead right there on the, on the road. Uh, and it just, it just threw me for a loop and, uh, it looked like it was some kind of documentary from the sixties or the fifties or something. And yet it just happened this year. So I know what it did for me. And I, and I've talked about that and blogged about that, but, but from your perspective, uh, I, I'm curious when you, uh, I may have been the one to show you the video. I'm not sure what we were talking about. What, what was kind of running through your mind? What did you think? Um, I, I was obviously appalled. Just the video is horrible. Um, How did that uh, impact you thinking about maybe going out and jogging a few days after that? I mean, did that um, cross your mind at all as some of my other friends it has? I, I, I would say, honestly, like I probably am benefit to the fact that I don't, I don't look black, I guess is the, the technical term. I, sometimes when I do run at night and there are people walking, I can see hesitation, yeah. but I don't think that's anything to do with my color. I think that's just, you know, it's dark and someone's running. But maybe yeah, I, it would probably cross my mind. Just like, maybe I got to be more careful when I'm running outside. <laughs> yeah. And so when, when Arbery is a, you know, it is a, an incident in Georgia, but from, um, uh, the a black community and from my friends who have shared with me said, it's just one of many and it's another incident. And so that happens. And then we're not very long uh, after that. And it's a different situation, different circumstances, but George Floyd murdered. And, um, and boy, when that happened, it, 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 it pushed COVID off the front page of every news newscast and newspaper and news story. And it, and it threw uh, the George Floyd uh, rightly so on the front page for conversation and for response. Now, the response has been uh, dramatic globally over this uh, with, with issues, uh, with, with protests, peaceful protests in many places, with, excuse me, statements being made um, that have to be made, conversations that have been ignored, um, questions about uh, police brutality versus uh, the Black Lives Matter, and then there's the Black Lives Matter movement versus the Black Lives Matter organization, all these different conversations going on all over the place. And, and so uh, my, my question to you, when, when the intensity on race relations happened, uh, even with people trying to, to have racial reconciliation and racial unity, and, and, we're not, and yes, we want all that, but it seems like there has to be more to be done at this point. What, what, is, what was your response and, and, and what is your response? And I don't, I don't guess I'm, you know, you, you can give your, your, your voice on, on the issue, but my, my question is more like this. Um, when your peers respond to the issues and they don't tend to respond in ways that you would, how, how do you handle that? And is it, do you sense that there is a perspective that they, meaning they, the general they, your peers, uh, whether they're, they're black, uh, white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, that they see things through a lens that, that just seems so different than how you view things based on, uh, simply not, uh, there's so much that make, makes us up, but based on your perspective as a, uh, as, as a, a biracial background, how, how do you respond to that? And have you seen that? different perspectives and different reactions. So I, I think one of the unique situations with me is like we've said before, I'm in the middle in terms of both races. And I feel like there's this 
side creation that has become like it, it, there's different sides all of a sudden it just comes out of nowhere instead of people being for people it's oh but there's a black side there's a white side yeah and it's just like this division was created and became more predominant during that time and there were responses honestly on both sides of my friends where i would say we're just extreme um or in some cases were they weren't researched properly <laughs> is probably a good way to say it okay um and so like i like to call it like um unintentional ignorance maybe is a way to describe it i um and i can't begin to understand um the challenges that, that even, that even you would face, uh, cause as you've, as you've referenced, you said, you, you know, there's that voice from the past that says you're not black enough. There's the voice that says, yeah, uh, but you're black, you know, maybe from the, uh, uh, one white perspective, you're, you're, you're definitely not white. You're black, uh, from another perspective, well, you're not black enough. You're too white. And, and so that, that tension, uh, of being in the middle and, and, and being, blessed to be in both, but also cursed to be from both. You know, it's that kind of that challenge. I don't, I don't even know uh, if that's even the right words. And I'm probably going to get a lot of people to comment that that's wrong. And, and that's offensive even to say it such a way. Um, but, but I, 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 I do value the perspective you offer, but knowing that your, your, my perspective as a white man, uh, uh, is not the perspective of every white man. Your perspective in, in your uh, circumstance or your heritage is not necessarily the same as everybody that would be biracial. So, uh, so it's very unique in that regard. But, but there are, there are some, um, obviously, some perspectives that are left out sometimes from the, from the arguments that we hear. And maybe men like you who, who just don't, haven't had an opportunity to share the voice and to get involved for, I don't know, because you're in both worlds in that sense. Yeah, I think uh, one of the predominant messages I, I was seeing is, you know, the defense against the Black Lives Matter and switching it to All Lives Matter. Yeah. And yeah. I think there's a misunderstanding on many sides what the Black Lives Matters mean. Um, and I've seen a few, like, pictures or descriptions of it and you know it's it's a sign of unity it's not a sign of saying black lives are more important than other um other lives yeah. um, but there is that misconception that that's specifically what it's talking about and um one of the one of the verses i've i've just i've seen so many times in this and i just can't not agree with it <laughs> obviously it's it's uh, matthew 18 12 um and it says uh what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray yeah and i think it's pretty clear that there are certain people groups in this instance that are being targeted and they need help I think that you're seeing a lot of debate in, in theological, well, I'll just say on Twitter, which is where people love to go to debate, um, that Black Lives Matter is, is, a, is a statement of truth 
but there's a lot of pushback against the organization known as that. And I'm not going to get into that today. I just, yeah. I know that those don't necessarily equate, but I think it was you, I think it was you that shared this. It was a great, it was a great illustration. And, and it was the, yeah, you, you shared it. It's like kind of having a birthday, <clears throat> having, having more than one kid and, and your family. So you got five children and it's your third child's birthday. And, uh, and yet every child gets a birthday gift. And that's normally not how it happens. Normally, especially if you have more, that many children, you're, you're not buying birthday gifts for every kid at every kid's birthday. So if it's Johnny's birthday and he's child number three, then it's Johnny's birthday party. It's his cake. He gets to pick the flavor of the ice cream and, and people who come to the party uh, are bringing him gifts. And, um, and in a sense, that does not mean the other kids don't matter. It just means on this day, it's his day. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, there's other verses specifically, you know, where God is, is referencing his people, um, being important, but then at the same time, there's verses that say there's no distinction between Jew or Greek. Right. Right. Um, you know, the Lord is the Lord of each side. Yeah. And that's, that's again, the most important aspect of all of this is the fact that the Christ's view is that, yes, all lives matter, but this person or this people group need help. <laughs> they need help right now. And I think that's the focus that needs to be, to be held right now in, in that regard. Uh, I, I mean, and, and there are always those moments, but we tend to be a very trendy culture trendy meaning almost trending like social media it's it's very important and popular for about an hour and then there's something else that takes the story away uh what's been so unique in this case is um uh, is is in a good way the story has not faded um i'm not quite sure there's been a lot of resolution um other than just conversations which are important and should happen um but and and, and whether you know Painting Black Lives Matter on roads uh, makes it an emphasis. Um, that's good. All those things. I, I, I really don't have an issue with any of those things at all. I just am wondering, as uh, you know, what's next? What, how do we know change is going to happen? Uh, change, change happens slowly, and it never happens quick enough when you want it to happen. Uh, it happens way too fast when you don't want anything to change. You know. So, so this is kind of the the tension that I find ourselves in. Um, I know we've been talking for a while, so I'm going to wrap it up here with a couple of things. There's this phrase, that, and, and one of our ladies in our church actually wrote an article about it. I shared it on my blog on systemic racism within the church. And, and that becomes, well, you throw systemic racism out there, and now that's a firebrand. You know, people want to talk about that, and they're angry. And we also live in a culture where people love to be angry at stuff, too. So um, do, do you, um, just your perspective, and this is just opinion on systemic racism outside within the church, but I mean, talking culture, do you, do you, have you had, what are your thoughts on it? We'll just leave it at that. What do you think about that? Um, I think growing up in my community, it, it's probably not something I would think about just to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, I live in a, a very nice area and um, many people have same opportunities in terms of, you know, living in this in this area and i think systemic racism though is a huge ordeal in like um heavily populated cities specifically in in, in those areas and the fact that you know people were basically denying 
um, black families the ability to, you know, own a, or get on a mortgage loan right. just because of their skin color right. is it's basically one of those situations where if one banker does it and teaches the next person to do it, and then it just kind of goes down the line and heck, maybe the person who's doing it now is so used to hearing from the person they're training at these type of people, you just want to, you know, avoid giving them loans for these kind of things. So, so this generational racism becomes, you have to be, you know, racism where it is once acknowledged has to be addressed, has to be recognized as sinful from a Christian perspective for those who are believers in order to be right with God has to be repented of and then change has to happen. There's a lot as, as you said earlier, unintentional ignorance in some areas, but once it's revealed, um, a, a shift that, has to happen. One thing also is people think racism, they think of the extremes. They don't think of the in-between. And mm -hmm. the fact of racism is racism isn't just, physically attacking someone of a different race it's talking behind that that person's back or talking about a specific race behind someone they know's back or talking about back. those people yeah those, those people. people yeah or or uh you know i wouldn't be comfortable at that church that type of church yeah which is you know and and i think everybody most pastors recognize that Sunday is the most segregated day of the year. Yeah. You know, or, or, Every of, weekend, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and like, you know, I think that says a lot in terms of where racism is. And I think it's unintentional racism. And like we said, unintentional ignorance, I think it's unintentional racism as well. Um, yeah. Uh, intentional or unintentional, sin is sin. And so once it's revealed, something has to be dealt with exactly. at that point. I think, you know, Dr. King is the one who mentioned the, you know, the, the Sunday morning hours, the most segregated in the U.S. And, and you're looking, here we are, 2020, and you're thinking, well, at least uh, thank the Lord. Uh, that was a statement made uh, decades ago, and we're, we've come so far, at least we're, we're, that's not an issue anymore. And yet we recognize that it, it still is. And, and one of the things that, that had been, you know, um, a blessing for us is to have some friends who are planning new churches and partnering in different areas and even our own church taking, you know, strides. Uh, uh, we say strides, others would say barely baby steps, but trying to be more multicultural and, and welcoming. Um, uh, you, you never want anybody to ask the question when invited to your church, Oh, would I be welcome there? And, and, and whether, and what does that mean? Why would a person not be, could it be, could it be racial? Absolutely. It could be, could it be, uh, economic? Yeah. That's another, that's another divide. Could it be, uh, uh, I, I don't live in the right neighborhood. I don't do whatever it is. And sometimes, uh, sometimes churches sadly have uh, made those statements. Uh, and sometimes people have said, you know, no, you're not welcome here. And, and we have to rectify that. Other times, um, another church may have said it. And so therefore everyone thinks that every church feels that way. So it is definitely a challenge. Now you're a worship leader at a church. You, you lead us in song, um, in more of our contemporary style of service. If you want to categorize it as that, whatever that word means nowadays. Um, but, um, leading worship in a, in a church, we know there are varying worship styles and people worship in different ways. And, uh, and I don't know if uh, you necessarily need to go in this conversation, just 
uh, how different people of different races worship, but or different cultures worship. But worship is, is different. So, so just from a just a generic perspective, what are some of the challenges you faced? Uh, really, I would say still fairly new in leading worship. You've done it for years now, but it's still we're in a new church. It's a new campus. It's it seems like it's been new and rebooted and restarted. And COVID didn't help us, so we're doing it again. Um, uh, what are some of the challenges you see in, in leading worship? What are some of the personal challenges you have in being uh, prepared personally to lead worship? Um, I, I think leading worship is just like such a unique role, honestly, um, because there, there honestly are so many different ways to lead a worship service. Um, I don't know if there's a, if there's a right or wrong way. Um, I've come across many worship leaders that have been extremely, um, in terms of like sharing the Bible, like specific verses and after every song will relate it to a Bible verse. I've seen others that don't really need to sing much or really say much. The crowd just worships. And I think there's, good in both sides. I, you know, and I, I try to incorporate moments like that where I can, you know, cite scripture basically. Um, I think just personally, I get a little nervous, just, you know, I feel like I'm messing up the flow sometimes when we're transitioning to a song and then I'll take out my, my, uh, my, you know, electronic Bible and, and read the verse. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe I overthink it and just, you know, what, it won't hurt anything by me reading the word of God. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I think, I think there's very little biblically on ensuring the flow is good, but there is much biblically on ensuring the word is declared. And so, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, the challenge, I, I can't imagine the challenge of, of leading in worship, knowing that there is so much emphasis on getting the song right and getting the music right, and getting the sound right, and um, getting the words on the screen spelled correctly, and uh, all those fun things that I'm not quite sure anybody in the New Testament dealt with, but um, (laughs) they were definitely focused on, uh, and we've said this before, you can't lead worship unless you're worshiping. Um, You can't go where you've never been. Um, I I will say, to quote the great David Tarkington, Um, you said something to me a long time ago uh, when I first started and it's honestly stayed with me. And I, I even look at this in my work, um, area as well, like outside of worship at, at a bank of America. Um, you should never feel like you've arrived. If you feel like you've arrived and then you have it all together or you know what to do, Mm -hmm. you're not doing something right because and I, I think that goes a lot with the walk of Christianity and sanctification specifically yeah. is, you know, we're, we're walking towards Christ and, and, and imitating Christ. And in terms of worship leading, I think I'm better personally than I was. I think I started nine years ago. So I'm almost coming up on 10 years. Right. Wow. Um, I think I'm better than I was back then. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so like, I think, Initially starting, I was very performance focused, probably, um, and very 
focused on how good it sounded and not so much of leading the room in worship. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I am at least con- conscious enough to, to try to get people involved. I mean, clapping doesn't work. That'll never work. And not here. Our, <laughs> not in our group. Um, but, you know, I think in Ireland and specifically, there was a huge shift when we moved into the why, not just from a um, location yeah. um, situation, but like we switched the way we played music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't need to get into the specifics, but basically we just went from a full band, you know, traditional rock setup, I guess you could call it, to a cajon and acoustic guitars and vocals. And the participation of worship, I would say, increased um, tenfold. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, for those that are listening that don't know, Island Church is a, is a campus that met in an elementary school for a number of years, or about a year and a half. And then we had to relocate due to uh, just they were rebuilding some things and working on the school. We found a new home in a local YMCA, which has been a great place for us. But the challenge was uh, we were no longer in a cafeteria, a larger room. We were in a smaller space, which moved and forced the move of, uh, it's been very good. Uh, so this is not a negative. We thought it was a negative initially, but I think we've discovered that it, it turned the worship into a more intimate setting with a, an opportunity for, for more family-focused gathering, even as our group grew to about, uh, let's say about 50 people in the room in a room that if it was door to door full would be about 70. So it was still comfortably full, you know, as we say in church world, 80% full is full. Um, and so the, the music and the worship, uh, yeah, gosh, you're, you're three foot from the first person in the seat. So it has to be an intimate setting. So that shifts that. So, uh, I think in, 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 in leading worship, uh, you, everybody that ever stands on stage at some point, whether you're preaching, teaching, standing there, giving announcements, there is a sense of cockiness that just comes with that, that you have to push aside and you have to reveal and release to the Lord. Uh, if you're not humble before the Lord and the opportunity to stand before God's people, opening the word of God and declaring the truth and opening the word through music and declaring truth, uh, then if you're not not willing to be humble in that moment and, and seeking to be, you will be... Uh, humiliated in that moment by the Lord, I believe, because uh, if, if anyone is being celebrated other than him, he's going to be jealous of that. And, uh, and we've discovered that. And that, uh, that's what I meant by that statement. Don't act like you've arrived because um, God does not need us. Uh, and yet so thankful that he allows us to, to join him in that work. Hey, uh, we, we've talked a lot about really just a perspective of one man's view growing up um, and, and still continuing to grow uh, as biracial uh, individual in a, in a culture in this community. I'm sure Jordan's, Jordan's uh, perspective would probably much di- be, have been much different had he lived uh, in, in, a, in a black uh, community, perhaps, and in, in, in that culture more so. But uh, this is his story, and this is his family, and this is his life, and the perspective um, that he has seen. And, um, and now as a father, seeing that even as a, as a dad raising a, a young girl in a community, uh, which is good, but uh, even good communities are sinful to the degree because they're full of sinful people. And we need to continually pray and seek the Lord's face and ask for his healing in, in all those areas. Do you have any, any last uh, thing you'd like to share, Jordan, before we kind of shut this one down? I just, one of the things I, 
I don't, I'm not a political person in any way. Most people know that, but I just want to say that Jesus, God wasn't a Republican and wasn't a Democrat. And I just think that's really important for a lot of the social issues that are going on right now is let's not focus on the donkey and the elephant. Let's focus on what Christ would have done and, the beauty of the word of God is that every situation that we go through, Christ has gone through and has conquered. And there's so much to look for in scripture relating to situations like this, because I think people forget that there was racism all the time during that time, because I mean, that was one of the biggest divisions that was how you distinguished if you were jewish or not right 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 hey and, and on that i you know what what's the t-shirt theology god wasn't a donkey or uh would you say a donkey or an elephant uh we don't worship the donkey or the elephant we worship the lamb it kind of sounds kind of hokey i saw on the shirt somewhere um so don't quote me on that one but but i think you're right on on that because especially in election year everything seems to trend that way and and it's amazing how everybody in the church, outside the church, becomes an evangelist of some sort for the political viewpoint they hold. And if we can stay soundly, firmly on the gospel, uh, I know that, that God is going to be honored in that. You know, lastly, um, you mentioned uh, the race, racial issues and racism has always been there. There are two instances, and I think I, I shared about this in a blog, may have talked about it with some others, two instances in the first century church in the book of Acts where the apostles who were leading the church said, ho, 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 wait a minute. We are going to pause right here. We're going to bring everybody together. We're going to talk about the proverbial elephant in the room, and we're going to address the issue because we can't continue doing church and claim to be followers of Christ and just believe that this issue is going to resolve itself. We have to come before the Lord and address it now. And the two times it happened, in both cases, the issues were regarding uh, racial differences. One was between the, the Hellenists and the Hebrew Jews, uh, the Hellenist Jews and, and the taking care of the widows. And the other was about the Gentile population being on equal footing in the church. And the apostles under the Holy Spirit's lead said, church, stop. We can't just have another service next Sunday and act like there's nothing wrong. And I think in our day today, that is a message from the Spirit of God to the leadership within the church to not just look at the news on the news or on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever we get our, our information and then pretend like it's just something that'll take care of itself and move forward. The church um, has to address what's happening within the walls of the church, within the people that gather and claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And when those issues infiltrate the church, the church must pause, repent, address, repent, and sometimes discipline is, is necessary. And so that's some good things to think through. Uh, as far as people that are not believers that are out in the world, here's, you know, we, here's the, the, the sad reality. Uh, lost people act like lost people. And so we need to continue to pray that, that many will come to know the Lord and not just have their, uh, their mind change, but their heart change, their viewpoints change. And so let's just see unity to uh, be our goal and, uh, and trust God with all of that. Hey, Jordan, thanks for tuning in. It's late tonight, man. You need to, your babies may already yeah, be. Can I say one more thing? I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I have, uh, let me find it. It's, it's actually a song that I'm, I'm, I've written in terms of the, uh, I, I basically just start off by saying there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. 
Mm-hmm. And then it, it goes on by saying, for the Lord is the Lord of all. And then the, the, the chorus is, is saying, for those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, there's another race-specific verse by you're pointing out that there isn't a distinction. So there's, there are people that think there should be a distinction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the important part mm-hmm. to focus on is that Christ is available to all. We are all sinful mm-hmm. and we all need Christ Amen. who has gone through and conquered each and every one of these situations. I think that's a great way to end. Thanks Jordan. Great work. Mm-hmm.